0: Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on
1: the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. We are very excited to present an Artemis podcast series on inspiring women's leadership in conservation. There are a number of reasons why inclusive conservation leadership is vital to the future of our hunting and fishing heritage. Our lands, waters, and wildlife face significant conservation challenges. Working towards effective solutions must draw on the creativity, expertise, and experience of conservation leadership that includes perspectives from all identities and backgrounds. This leadership series will introduce you to dedicated and inspirational women working in all aspects of conservation leadership. We aim to provide insight into their journey and the work that they do. In the end, we aim to inspire you to step into leadership yourself. Together, we will support the next chapter in conservation and help women ascend into local, state, regional, and national conservation leadership roles. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marcia Brownlee, and our co-host today is Sam Petter. Hey, Sam. Hello. Welcome back to the next episode of the Leadership Series. I'm excited you're here. Me as
2: well. I look forward to
1: our our co-host or guest as well. Yeah. Oh, I like that. We should call each co-host a guest because, no, (laughs) we should call each guest a (laughs) co-host. Something like that. It's the end of the day, so this could be an interesting podcast with Marcia trying to put sentences together, but we are going to give it our best. (laughs) Um, And our guest today is uh, Flora Chontosh. Hi, Flora.
0: Hi, everyone.
1: Flora, I'm so excited you're here, and we're going to kick it off with what's in your freezer.
0: My freezer has a fun assortment of fish and game at the moment, a little bit of Uh, turkey from last year, not from this year (gasps) yet. Unfortunately, we can talk about that uh, disappointment Um, at some other time.
1: (laughs) No,
2: we'll go into that in just a little Um, bit, but I want to hear the
0: rest of the things. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: Some venison, some squirrel, uh, a couple of ducks, um, some fish, uh, striper that my husband caught, um, and then some Uh, some homemade popsicles that I call everything but the kitchen sink. I just go and buy what's on sale at Grocery Mm -hmm. Outlet and make them into popsicles. And it's already getting warm here in California. Uh, So it's definitely popsicle season.
1: That's exciting. Um, First question, when is California's turkey season?
0: It started uh, the last weekend in March, so it's all of April, and then goes into the first week of May. Okay, so there's still time, right? Well, so they tell me, but <laughs> I think I think you have to be
1: a pretty good hunter with the terrain that's out here. The turkeys know what's up. They always know. They always know. This will be my fourth turkey season, um, and I have been unsuccessful thus far, and it's torture because so montana's turkey season opens this weekend and the hike where i take my dog every day is um city land that borders on national forest but it's hunting restricted because it's such a huge recreational area Mm -hmm. and there are turkeys everywhere i shot gobbled (laughs) a bunch the other day just whistling for my dog and i was like can i just tackle them and translocate them (laughs) Yeah, they're everywhere. They're they're just they're teasing everywhere. me. And unless you want them there, then they're not there.
0: No, not never. They know. They just they have this
1: awareness. This is like a sixth sense for sure. They do. Um Sam, are you gonna be able to turkey hunt this year?
2: I I am. In fact, unofficially, officially. I may go after a grand slam, depending. We are looking Ooh, at a couple wow couple event travels. I have an Alceola thanks to an opportunity with National Wild Federation and I have an Eastern Turkey because of being in Pennsylvania. So I have two of the four and I've been told and I'm well aware uh, that Washington and Idaho offer and sometimes Montana offer opportunities for Merriam and Rio yep. depending on where you go. And so if not this year, I'm at least starting the quest for the full Grand Slam over my hunting career, so okay. even if I just get it in the woods in a western state at least once during turkey season this year, it has started. This is the official flag waving ceremony. I'm um, going after it because, like you know, I I like goals, mm-hmm. and I got two out of four, so why not? So it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it, but also. we we just had dinner and we're looking we are looking at maryland um we swapped some onyx points with somebody across the table for us at dinner Uh, because maryland eastern shore as i've been told has the largest eastern turkeys on the east coast i'm gonna find out personally and compare the notes but that's um the really good ag habitat here that just encourages you know birds to get fat and happy and so if that's the case we are we're pursuing them so nice we'll be hunting a lot in the next four to five weeks nice. it hasn't officially started the, the weekend that your season closes for is the weekend ours opens in Pennsylvania officially um. so we're it's very delayed it always amazes me about that but we will be out pursuing them um with a bunch of different people so I'm, I'm very excited I'm looking forward to it
1: so you should keep in mind that um, Alex Stockman, uh, who co-hosted a podcast episode not too long ago, is hosting a turkey hunt in Montana this year, and then next year we'll be doing one in Idaho, too. So they're, yeah. So you should have your other turkey um, during one of those trips, because then we can hunt together and that would be fun.
2: I am all about it. I have followed Benny Ray on <laughs> Instagram, and I've seen them announced, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, and then, Flora, back to your freezer...
1: My other question is about squirrel recipes. So in California, well, squirrel in general, are you shooting the big squirrels or the little pine squirrels?
0: Uh, the, uh, well, I should know this. It's the ones that are non-native. I think it's the gray, is that the big, squirrels? I think, are, yeah, I think it's the gray squirrels. Um, and there's just so many ways to cook them and part of how I got into hunting is the meat and the quality of the meat is just so special and better and different um and so uh, yeah squirrel I mean it it takes a bit in, bit of getting used to folks who don't grow up eating small game which I did not um you 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 but you come around to it because it's so
1: good I've been wanting to do more and more of that um and in, in like between big game seasons kind of uh, include more totally. squirrel in, in my freezer. So maybe that will squirrel be my for pie. this pot pie. Highly right.
0: recommend it. Good way to introduce um, people to, to eating different kinds of meat. That's too. That's true.
1: How many squirrels for a good pot pie?
0: Oh, you know, not that many. I mean, well, I do individual pot pies. Right. And yep. So it's, you can just, yeah, you Ooh. can really average it out. I
1: like that. Uh, okay, that was a nice opener. I enjoyed that. Um, Flora, can you tell us a little bit about who you are?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm Flora Chontosh. I am a Californian, though I grew up mostly in Hungary and Eastern Europe. I was was born in Hungary. I also have spent a few years living in Wisconsin, uh, and so some really different and, and wonderful outdoor traditions in each of those three places along my life's journey. And other than that, professionally, I've worked for a few nonprofits, a few elected officials, all of which I've really, really enjoyed. Uh, And on the personal side, I, I grew up hiking a lot, camping a lot with my family and friends, then moved on to backpacking as a young adult, sort of after college, and then picked up bird watching and then hunting very recently, just about four or five years ago. And I moved back from Wisconsin just a year, a year and a few months ago and live in Vallejo, which is in the northeast part of the San Francisco Bay Area in California. And I'm uh, learning, relearning everything, as a returning as a hunter and thinking about land in different ways, thinking about
1: access and uh, trying to, to get better at the art that is hunting. What initiated your interest in hunting? I'm curious about that journey.
0: That's a good question.
1: It was a combination of things.
0: It was spending time with people I really cared about. A couple of of friends hunt. Uh, my husband hunts. Uh, some new folks we met in Wisconsin hunt. And so it was a natural. There's the social element that I think we all love. That was that was certainly there. Uh, and then in Wisconsin, the Department of Natural Resources offers a Incredible program to bring hunters up to speed, uh, totally new adult hunters like myself, and they outfitted me head to toe. I mean, you can borrow a ton of gear. And um, they they help you learn how to hunt any any species you're interested in. For me, it was turkey, and a big part of it was uh, was the food hunt, hunting for food. Uh, I mean, locally sourced organic meat. Are you know Are you serious? That's 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 just so unique. Uh, and 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 getting exercise while you're doing it, and it's just an incredible way to spend hours outside and it's socially acceptable. You know, when else do you (laughs) sit under a tree and not really move necessarily for hours on end? Uh, and it just, it was the right activity for me at the time and still is. And I'm, I'm a little surprised looking back that it fits so well into my life, but I, you know, it's so special and, um, uh, uh, treasured in my life now that I, I, I can't even see not, you know, not being a hunter.
1: That's a, a, for some reason I hadn't thought about it that way, but the way that you phrased it made me think you're right. Like more people should just sit under a tree and not move for hours at a time because yes. it's really amazing what you see and what you notice. Um, and, and just being in that, in the natural world in that way. Um, yeah, yeah, it brings so
0: much to your life. Uh, and it's, you know, I guess camping might be the other activity that gets closest to it. But hunting, uh, you are out there for hours and hours. And it's incredible.
1: When I think even with camping, in my own personal experience, there's usually activity involved. But the idea of sitting as still mm. as quiet as possible. Um, and, and trying not to be seen. I don't do that with any other activity. Um, and it's no. something particularly unique. I It's a good mental practice. It is. And I've often thought like, wouldn't I think we would all be different people if if everybody could see the natural sky without light pollution every Mm. night just to be reminded of of what's out there. Um and I'm starting to think that way of like every like just sitting in the woods quiet for hours at a time and not moving. I really do think it brings a different perspective to Yeah. I told you it was going to be a weird podcast. (laughs) It's fantastic. Um, Can you tell us, thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate it. We are here to talk about commissions as part of our leadership series. Um, Our last episode was with Winnie Kessler, uh, who is an amazing leader in uh, the conservation community uh, and talked to us about her current work Uh, researching the untold story of the history of women in conservation Um, and in that she she mentioned a bit about the work that Artemis does to encourage and support women to serving on a commission and so I'm very excited to dive into that conversation with you with your knowledge and with your background Uh, can you start by telling us um, how what tell us about the work that you did regarding commissions
0: Yes, happy to. I served for two years in the Wisconsin Governor's Office as his Director of Board and Commission Appointments, which means that I got to assist him in going through the applications that were received. Uh, When he took office, there were um, a lot of applications waiting. This was the appointments director before me. Uh, and then I was the the second appointments director in his term. And there are in any given state, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, board uh, um, boards and commissions that a governor can appoint to. Uh, and this was my first time doing any sort of, you know, doing doing work that is so um, nuanced and uh, uh, learning about this incredible, um uh, uh, these incredible bodies of expertise citizens who are serving um uh, on a specific subject matter uh and finding the right person for the right boarding commission and it really sunk in for me in those two years that there is there's is a there is a way to serve out there for everyone who wants to there is a there is a council a working group a a a board that needs your expertise and maybe now is not the right time i don't think everyone needs to serve but if folks are interested uh it's really not far outside of people's grasp it's it's there for um everyone uh and and you know your unique life experience your the toolkit that you've you've assembled with your certain set of experiences that is is something that should be part of a uh, of a statewide board.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that because I know for, for me, like the, A, I didn't really know what a commission was um, mm-hmm. until I started to get engaged in conservation and uh, pay attention a little bit more to how, uh, how our hunting seasons were regulated. Um, but then I also, it's intimidating, right? I think you, when you think govern, government mm-hmm. appointee, There's a lot of weight that comes with that. So I appreciate the idea that um, there are a lot of other, there are a lot of opportunities outside of like, you don't necessarily need to aim for uh, fish and game commissions, because those are usually um, pretty high profile in most states. Mm -hmm. But there are other opportunities and I think with appointments, we all think of
0: maybe the U.S. Supreme Court, right? That was one of the, <laughs> the most recent ones. But I assure you, they are not all that high profile. In fact, there are so many that are waiting for for good appointees in every state. Um, and it's it's uh, there's something there's definitely something for everyone.
1: So can you talk to us a little bit? Um... Uh, again, for the idea of commissions that may be new to some of our listeners, what do they do? What are they?
0: Yes, commissions, you'll hear a lot of interchangeable words thrown around. It can be a, a commission, a council, a working group, maybe a task force, a blue ribbon commission, something along those lines. But just really broadly speaking, these are all bodies of of people, of citizens who are lending their expertise to study a certain issue. And this country and many other countries, our governments really run on commissions. If you think about how our lawmakers also break out into committees, uh, we form study groups, many of us in school were part of work projects in a group setting. And so we break into these specialized bodies of uh, by subject matter and expertise so that we can really drill down and make some focused recommendations maybe policies are coming out of this maybe um, a new uh, mission statement or a new organizational plan Uh, but it's it's important who's on the commission because those are the voices going into the process for a lot of these there is also a strong um process of public input. So that's that's how anyone can engage, which is really great and really empowering and something important in the American democracy is this transparency uh, and and incorporating the public's feedback. Um, and so commissions do a lot of different things, and I will certainly say that that uh, my experience is predominantly, Uh, Wisconsin experience and Californian it's different in every state but all of this information is typically publicly available so I want to share what I know and I can at least share you know maybe maybe broad uh, explanations
1: Uh, are all Commission meetings open to the public Uh, because I know you can um, at least for here in Montana you can watch most of the proceedings
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, I mean, with COVID and with the quarantining and shutdown, there's typically in a whole lot of states, there's a ways to stream these meetings. Now, you don't have to take yourself to a conference room at from five to 7pm. You can watch it in your house, you can listen while you're driving. Uh, And a lot of them have newsletters, I I would wager some of them have uh, social media accounts where you can follow along there are so many great ways to uh, keep up to speed on this work and you know even if you don't keep up to speed it's just important to remember it's it's happening whether or not you're aware of it and that's where a lot of these important decisions for conservation are made
2: and I mean in general that's what you're describing it Laura, is so critical because you're describing it as an active participant, whether, it, whether it's elected officials that participate as like the official commission member, you're describing scenarios and opportunities where anybody from any kind of passion or concern for natural resources can participate mm-hmm. in the wildlife management process, whether it's, some, <clears throat> sorry, submitting public opinion on a plan, let's say mm-hmm. for, um, mountain lion management or or cwd management right now chronic wasting disease right there is so many opportunities to inject at different levels and commissions are perhaps the epitome of it at least on the wildlife management side of a chance to become involved and in voice your opinion and there's a responsibility too that you kind of are describing that in my mind you've chosen to fill that role you represent a section of public voice that has Mm. a validity in the decision process for wildlife management. And so to hone that skill and that ability and to bring those words of the average hunter or angler into the wildlife decision matrix is huge. I mean, it's such an opportunity that we maintain in the larger, you know, North American model, but just management wildlife resources in, in our state, it's
1: huge. It is huge. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I, I love that point, Sam, because I think we talk a lot, um, in conjunction with this leadership series about, uh, encouraging more women to apply to be commissions and councils. Um, but, but like, that's the top of the ladder, right? Like there are different rungs in the ladder that you can access depending on what your capacity and comfort is. And, um, uh, you know, for, for me right now, it's, watching the recordings of the commission meetings um, and staying up to date. And then I think after that can be um, commenting on policies that are important to you, um, either spoken or written, um, and just getting familiar with the commission process uh, in order to deepen your understanding of who they are and what they do and what makes a good commissioner.
0: Absolutely. And it's, uh, none of it's by accident. There's, Years of, you know, procedural uh, thinking has been put into these commissions. There's a certain number of commissioners for a reason. Leadership alternates. Uh, this this all has come from, you know, decades of of, of leadership.
1: And it's like there are certain regions that are represented across the state to make sure I mean just as with your house of representatives like each region is represented and if I'm right most of them have like uh like the you have to have certain demographics represented like our what fish and game commission here needs to have somebody representing the agriculture community um so there are different slots like that is that pretty standard across all commissions
0: that that is certainly the case there are um depending on the border commission it can be very prescriptive is what we call it that they will require you know three of the ten members have some sort of specific certification maybe if it's a natural resource commission they would require that a certain percentage have a hunting license and that's been active in the past five years something like that or um, that you be from a certain part of the state Uh, that you maybe have never served on a commission before or that you have served on a commission before uh, and I'm looking at the California Fish and Game Commission website. It, it does look like folks are from different parts of the state. I don't know if that's if that's mandated. And there is a vacancy. Just putting it out there for any Ooh. California listeners. There you go. Uh, there are four. Hey Flora. Four what of do you the think? It <laughs> <filled>. <laughs> well, will not be me. <laughs> uh, Why not? Uh, I think
2: that's a totally appropriate question.
0: Actually, I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> just put you in the spot uh, right well, here. That is very funny. In the of the I know. That's that's I I should have known this would happen with two people like this. Um, it's it's an incredible group of people on this commission. Um, I think it's something you 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 want to feel like is the right choice for you. I mean I I can tell the meetings are very in depth. There's materials that these commissioners are reviewing ahead of time. Uh, so this is not a commitment I'm looking for. However, <laughs> it, 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 it is likely. Uh, just someone else's cup of tea right. and personally i would be surprised if the governor does not already have someone in mind yeah. i mean this is there's only five seats in this commission is a huge deal i will say three uh, of the four folks on there are women at the moment
1: nice yeah um i i just want to i just want well, so- to quickly plug uh we did a podcast a while back with michelle zimmerman who was uh on the Fish and Game Commission in Colorado for eight years, and she talks about her experience as mm-hmm. a commissioner. So we'll link to that in the show notes, because um, uh, that was a great conversation. Um, but I also feel like this is a good segue. Like you said, the governor probably has somebody in mind for that commission seat. Uh, so let's go in a little bit into how commissioners are chosen.
0: It's a multitude of factors, a lot of moving pieces, and it really depends on the governor and that governor's priorities for conservation and for natural resources. Uh, the the Natural Resources Board in Wisconsin had seven members. The California one has five. That makes me think most natural resource and conservation commissions of a state are quite small. This also means that governor will almost certainly will not appoint all of the members of that commission. The terms are typically staggered and so maybe in a governor's four-year term they would be able to appoint a third of the commission members. And that's really important to preserve. Again much like the U.S. Supreme Court which is kind of the, the highest example. Um, there's there's turnover. Uh, different presidents' visions are reflected in the makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court, and different governors' visions are reflected in the makeup of their Fish and Game Commission, and that uh, brings a whole lot of debate between commissioners. They are very different people, and it preserves the integrity of 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 that commission's. Mission statement. There is um, there's there's a lot of upsides to it. I mean, you you know, and again, these requirements, these prescriptive requirements of who must be appointed, um, and it it uh, they're going to want someone who has a wide range of experience, uh, and want someone um, who who will bring a, a, an important perspective. And so it doesn't hurt to know what that governor is really focused on in terms of environmental or or conservation policy.
1: I appreciate you saying that because it helped me with a personal perspective that I was lacking before because I had a short stint on the uh- yeah, I had a short stint on the Board of Outfitters here in Montana where I was filling mm. in for us I was appointed by a governor to finish out somebody's term who had to leave early uh, and so I think I was I think I attended two maybe three meetings of the Board of Outfitters um, and then the governorship turned over and because I was only filling in for somebody and hadn't been confirmed yet, I got booted and I was salty about mm. it <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but that perspective of 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 the balance, right? Of um, the terms alternate, and so having a, a balanced commission uh, uh, is enabled through that process. That helps me be a little bit less salty about it.
0: <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. And I, it, it there is there is fluctuation, even if you see that a certain seat on a commission is full for the next three years check back again in a month or sign up on their newsletter because that person may step down you you never know if if a seat will open up early and I I saw it multiple times
2: well and it's huge to acknowledge right now too that COVID slowed some government processes down we've actually faced a really unique situation where the fulfillment for those seats is delayed enough that we can't reach quorum Uh. to make like our general decisions, not seasons and bag limits in a couple different states. Congressional Sportsman Foundation, among other organizations, are trying to rectify this. And so on one side, we've been delayed because of COVID. What hasn't? But at the same time, if women ever, or sports women ever, looked for an opportunity to get engaged, there is there's lots of opportunity right now to throw your, your name in the hat, and that's huge. And it's not just from like the stepping down part of it; it's just a delay in process. Mm. So it now's now's the time. Let's like get your hats in the ring.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um,
1: I have I have a question because I think, uh, it's it's. Well, I want to talk a little bit. I want to I want to lead into my question um, with some background because one of the things that we talk a- about a lot with our leadership series is mentorship, um, and obviously I think that's incredibly important and something I value a lot. But I also think that equally important is sponsorship, right? It's like uh, like yeah. you said, so much. Uh, so many times commissioners have an idea of, of who they want to fill that role or governors. sorry, have an idea of who they want to fill that role. But if they don't, then they reach out to their trusted advisors in their network to say, who do you suggest for this role? Um, and Exactly. And that's how I got on the Board of Outfitters. It was by being sponsored um, by somebody. And by sponsorship, we mean recommended. It's like, you know, Marsha would be good for this seat. You should really talk mm-hmm. to her. Um, and then I was contacted and asked to apply. Um, so, so I think sponsorship is an incredibly important, uh, I was, and I should just say that I was like speechless when I got that phone call. I was like, you want me to do what?
0: That must've been so exciting. I've gotten to make those phone calls and it's sort of a fun, you know, surprise party to drop on someone. It's really,
1: that's that's (laughs) the perfect way to describe it. It was a fun surprise party. Um, (laughs) and then, you know, you always have the me. (laughs) <laughs> reaction <laughs> but uh anyway so with that in mind uh and how important um that that connection and that sponsorship is what's the value of applying because i think i feel like at this point the, a lot of people could dismiss this conversation of well i need to network and i need to build up my professional mm-hmm. resume and i think a lot of that is probably true but well, why apply if you don't have that already
0: Well I will say you can do both at the same time. You can apply and then continue to build your resume and your contacts and your professional networks and then resubmit your resume. I don't think it hurts at all to have your name appear in the governor's system multiple times Mm -hmm. uh, and to establish a um, establish awareness with the office that you're interested and there are, again, most states have uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of commissions. There may be another commission even better suited for an applicant in conservation in the conservation field that you don't even know exists. Uh, and so it's um, apply, apply now, uh, put your put your information out there. And I, I do want to underscore what you said earlier—that letters of support or or a reference call are really helpful. If you if this if a, if a certain commission is your is your dream appointment, have someone reputable and knowledgeable call on your behalf uh, and to to call the governor's appointments director uh, to make to, to to nudge them to to say this applicant is coming through the pipeline they're extremely qualified uh you know you might want to consider them for for the the commission that makes the most sense i i think having um putting your application in is 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 important and um, you know, do it in installments if you want to start the application. Take some time to write certain um, parts of it, but know that you can always amend it. It's 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 um, uh, it's a it's a fluid process. It's a it's an art, not a science, the world of boards and commissions.
1: So that like so, if you were to apply, do you need to specify a commission position that you're applying for? Or or can you just do both?
0: You. It depends on the state, but I would wager you will pick maybe your top three boards that you're interested in, mm-hmm. uh, and then there will probably be some fields you can fill in a short written response, or you can underscore, I'm interested in anything to do with natural resources, uh, and then... Um, assuming that it's a good appointments department <laughs> like mine was, uh, then you will be kept in in that in that whirlpool of candidates um, because it it is it is it's a very fluid process and people come and go, uh, and so having the information on hand is a is really really useful. And I will I will know you may need to apply again if there's a new governor. Yep. I, I don't know what that transition is like.
1: Yeah, I want to emphasize that they I don't think they keep them on file. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Sam, were you going to say something? I feel like I may have cut you off at one point there.
2: No, and and more so just about the process, because myself and a couple of friends in in Pennsylvania have been up for commissioner appointments. We've gone through the interview process and just kind of reflecting on keeping them on file um they they don't necessarily when governors change keep them on file but but your presence especially depending on the culture of your hunting or culture of the hunting in your state if you're making yourself known and putting yourself out there people do recall who you are and so depending on kind of how you play the the cards and what your motivations are for the position and the appointment and if you you know want to give back to conservation or whatever motivates you um if that's true to who you are you're probably not going to be forgotten by being a motivated sportswoman Um, maybe the the appointment won't be for commissioner but like in pennsylvania we have the governor's advisory or advisory council for hunting fishing and observation we also have the youth advisory council i was a member of a youth as a youth and like the opportunity during the the adult one has come across a time or two and so while it might not be the official commissioner you're still known. You're still speaking up for conservation from a motivated and passionate position. And so, it might not be your time right now to be the official commissioner, but that doesn't mean that your chances to contribute to conservation in your state are limited. Hundred percent. I agree. Yeah, the way
0: you put it, Sam, is 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 totally totally accurate. And surround yourself by the people you want to to be around, the people you whose experience you want to to absorb and gain from. If um, the commission interests you, listen to their meetings, usually the staff person who supports the commission, their contact info is listed on there. Uh, It's always appropriate to reach out to your local friendly public servants.
1: And I've been thinking a lot too, because I Mm -hmm. think, uh, again, throughout this leadership series, imposter syndrome has come up. A lot, and I was absolutely listening to this podcast earlier today. It was um, Armchair Expert with Duck Shepard. I don't know if you guys listen to that, but occasionally it's very entertaining. That undersells yes. him. It's often very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his guest was Adam Grant, who's an organizational psychologist uh, and somebody I just find very fascinating. I, I find his his thoughts very fascinating. Um, but he was talking about a. Let's not call it a syndrome. Um, because that has connotations that aren't necessary. We can call it imposter thoughts. And everybody has imposter thoughts. Um, if you don't, you're probably a narcissist. <laughs> um, he didn't say that, but I think that's probably true. Um, but you read between the lines. I read between yeah. the lines. And then like think about the, the positive things that come when you have those imposter thoughts. Because people who have imposter thoughts usually try hard. Um, they're usually open to learning from others. Um, and, uh, and they usually just, I think that was it, (laughs) just those two, they try hard and they're open to learning. Um, and if you have, if, if you have an overconfidence, um, then, then that's not necessarily a positive thing. And so I really liked that kind of shift in perspective. Um, that's
0: fantastic. And it, I mean, does that not describe the sports women that we know they just work super hard. And if someone tells you you can't do something you try even harder and it you know there's no there's no magic solution to imposter thoughts it's 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 hard. I, it, it really is. Uh, and and it's true throughout all levels of government. And I mean, female leadership is so badly needed. All of us practice leadership at different levels. It can it's in some of us do it in our community, at work, in our home, in 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 whatever we engage in. Our, our leadership is there. Um, it's just recognized really differently. And, and typically male forms of leadership are, are more rewarded and more understood. Um, and it's, some of this won't change until women choose to, or are able to jump into the trenches and show off their style of leadership. I will say even when they do that, it's still in a very, um, it's in a very male structure. And, and so even if you, um, are, are doing what you can, uh, it, it, it may not it it will still feel hard, I guess is what I'm saying. It will still be, there will still be roadblocks. Um, And I, you know, I mean, COVID has made us rethink everything and what we want to give our time to and what really matters. uh, What are the essentials in your own life? Um, And, and I think for a lot of us as sportswomen and conservationists, it's the, uh, it is the access to the outdoors, and 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 like one of you said, paying it forward,
1: giving back to conservation. And I think too, like I know, from if when I think of putting myself up for a leader posi- leadership position like that, there are a whole bunch of thoughts that come into my mind. One is like, who am I, right? And then the other one is like, uh, if there's a component of, um, gosh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Ego-driven ambition, and hmm. it's not that, but I think that I have a little bit of a uh, a barrier to the idea of putting myself up for a leadership position um, with those standing out front. Um, but I think if we, if you, if you can look past that and focus on the idea that better decisions are made by inclusive uh-huh. and diverse boards, and so if you're if you can kind of frame the goal as my goal is to be that, be, you know, to, to make that a reality. Um, it it just allows me to shift my reason into mm. something that has less barriers. I don't, yeah. I totally I agree.
2: Sam, what do you think? And I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity you're considering right now, right? I mean, from working in the consultation profession as we all have is on top of trying to be volunteers um if you're the only woman in a room you're offered opportunities and sometimes you come to question why you're be- being given that opportunity and for me i've come to one not one an opportunity because i'm just a chick i i am Marsha, you and i talked about this a lot i I want to be the most informed and best candidate there, but it was a really good friend that helped me understand that the opportunity is an opportunity to go forward and pave pathways if necessary for good conservation and good conversation. And so as as I'm offered opportunities or as I find myself, even just being in a room, that's an opportunity in and of itself, whether I'm in that leadership role or not what is my mo- motivation to be there? I always like kind of before I, I take on something or go into a room, like, why am I here? Acknowledge that, make sure I keep that in mind as I go forward to ensure I accomplish that goal at the end of the day. Because like, you are afforded opportunities sometimes because of your gender. And that doesn't mean they're bad or misintent. But at the same time, reflect on what that means that you can also contribute to the larger conservation conversation. And that That's really been how I've tried to digest that is why am I being afforded this what can I gain for the rest of the conservation community and how can I pay it forward to ensure that you know it's if I am the only chick in the room I'm going to make sure another 10 can follow behind me and so that's just kind of been my my mentality as like you know these opportunities that come forward exactly
0: and there's it it Diversifying the voices in any decision-making room is so so critical, and we're so behind as a country. I mean, it's it's just not even impressive how how little progress we've made, especially around female leadership. Um, and it it um, th- thank God everyone thinks differently. That's that's the wonderful thing is that when you get people who think differently in the same room, committed to an issue um you're going to find the answer there's 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 a, a a magic that happens when people gather and um and share what they know i mean it in and so approaching it from that way i that really resonates with me that this is you know i'm not joining because i i've memorized the california regulations on hunting i'm joining because i have a, a different perspective and if that perspective can serve the commission Then, then, you know, and then I'm open to sharing it.
2: Mm -hmm. That's so huge, though, too, if you think about it. Because right now, a position on a commission or a board is thought to come from 50 years' experience. When in reality, we're facing agencies trying to connect to relevancy and connect to how to achieve more with less resources and and attract new participants to the opportunities. You don't need the Rolodex of 50 hunts. 50 years experience your perspective as a new hunter who understands you know the mission and the opportunity before them to bring your voice to the table so you don't need that that you know, resume of hunting in 15 countries you need your perspectives grounded in the topics that are, that's just as valuable right now it's huge and people see that as a barrier but it's really not well said oh, it's so true
1: and it reminds me of one of my well, gosh one of my mentors um, back when I finished my first master's degree, I was looking for jobs to apply to. And I was talking to her about, um, this one that looked interesting. And I said something about how, but I don't meet all of the qualifications and her advice that has stuck with me forever was, um, you, you have what they don't know they need. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. I love that. Like, you know, they put together the qualifications based on how they're understanding the job, but then they look at a resume and, and, and you can (laughs) tell them how, what you have can benefit their work. Um, and they can see it in a different light. And I just, I really, um, I, that advice is one of the most valuable pieces of advice I've ever gotten.
0: And I, I don't think there is, um, uh, I mean, that's such good advice and it's, it's going to, it's, it's, it will you will make it your own we've all had experiences where we join something or we are stepping into a certain role and 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 it 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 you know it starts to fit you eventually you realize what you want to make of that role and i will say feeding your ego is not a bad thing <laughs> i don't i don't see why that would be a bad thing i, I was I, taught, I taught from a so very young women. age <laughs> Yeah. just Oh, that's fine that you want it too bad. Like that doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a mix of, of humor and ego. I mean, that is such an important balance and women walk it so beautifully women of color, um, young women. I mean, it's just, you need all these voices. Um, and if I could triple every woman's ego in my life, including my own, I would do it. I, I see no issue
2: with that. Yes, what is that? I love that concept.
1: And there's that that quote. I think it's it's uh, been going around the internet recently. Is like to to um. Uh, gosh, I can't even remember how it goes. But essentially, it's saying like to somebody who um, has not been driven by their ego like am- like ambition feels like narcissism right like it's all mm. um degrees and 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 relativity um and what to me s- feels like a huge step is actually not <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. if that made sense well it does well it all boils down to what do you want to do and and if you want to accomplish something because yeah. if you're motivated to accomplish it I mean, ego is described as confidence, in other words. Uh, Go do it. (laughs) Check yourself along the way. But at the same time, if you have something to give and don't just do it, if you you might get notoriety for it, just do it. Like, I I, I always struggle with that. I always look at those quotes and just kind of think like, well, should I like consider maybe not doing it because I'll personally benefit But at the same time? Like, if you have good things to give, you should just show up like that's That's the ultimate kind of thing.
1: And surround yourself by good friends and people who can knock you down a peg when you need it. <laughs>
2: exactly. Such as Marcia and Flora. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you two will keep me in check if I say something outlandish.
2: <laughs> yup. Exactly. Oh, goodness. Well, so, you know, we're looking, we're in a post-almost COVID time, whatever we want to describe at the time, depending on our state, whatever. Um, where we are right now, let's put it that way, acknowledging that agencies are are crippled with the amount of work they need to accomplish and not enough resources to get it done. That'll always be the situation they face. Mm. Um, we've talked about where, you know, showing up in a room is volunteering. That's like a leadership aspect and being on commission as well. There's different degrees. But as we look forward and we look at the dynamics and demographics of hunters and anglers, we know that sports women are growing in rank, as well as, you know, the diversity side um, between millennials, between generations, between ethnics and, and uh, race and background. The people coming into the activities are are growing as well, too. How can someone who, who is, you know, sitting around saying, I know I could do this, but I also know somebody else in the background could do it, too. What is your advice? If someone doesn't want to take a leadership role, but wants to help others prepare for it, can they be, for lack of a better word, an enabler of leadership? <laughs> that's and how might excellent question.
0: Yeah, that is a great question. And that's a great term, leadership enabling. That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> I feel like I well, want that button. Huge. Hi, my name is Marcia. I'm a leadership enabler. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: Um, a little ribbon on a conference. Yep. Yeah. The other I've heard a similar
1: term when I was a
0: community organizer of helping um, midwife in power and leadership so that it's oh. not you necessarily giving birth, not that I have given birth and this metaphor is faulty for many reasons, <laughs> but just humor me that it's um, you're you're there for someone you're you're someone um, who is is bringing their, their version of power and leadership into the world. And it's really painful and it's really difficult, but you as the midwife or the enabler um, are there to walk with them in that. Because even if you don't have the expertise to give them, um, being there and absolutely get a friend to apply with you or pressure your friend into applying. I mean, I think those are <laughs> very doable things. Uh, and it doesn't have to be government-related border commission. There are plenty of organizations with chapters, Audubon, NWTF, the mm-hmm. and, and National Wild Turkey Federation um, is PJ. what NWTF stands for. Yeah. Yes, to absolutely. You. I mm-hmm. mean, go, you know, go there and maybe that will be what you're looking for. Um, and those groups typically interact with their state fish and game commission anyway, uh, so there's so many ways to do it, and it's almost always more fun to do it. Again, it's the social aspect of hunting. It's more fun when you know when your loved ones are there beside you, trying it with you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I also think this is—I remembered what I was going to say. Um, in my experience, um, let's see how I can phrase it. Like the 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 purpose of a board is to make difficult decisions. And yes. that is never, when it's done right, it's not easy. And obviously it should be respectful. It should be um, productive, but it's never easy. And so I think keeping that in mind uh, when you're considering board service is that these are issues that you're going to grapple with and you'll have fun along the way and you'll learn a lot along the way. But every good board that I've ever worked with um Ha- it's been hard, um, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind: is just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad.
0: Yeah, or that you're unqualified. It's it's hard, period.
1: And it should be because that means, again, it like there's toxic hard, and then there's
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's non-toxic
1: hard, and we we definitely want the kind that's that's the good hard. Um, uh, but you're grappling with different with difficult complex concepts that have a lot of stakeholders um, and that should be hard
0: I agree and it's um,
2: uncomfortable
0: too. Uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. that's the growth I mean it it's it's it is difficult but I mean hunting is uncomfortable too mm-hmm. hunting fishing and we, we you do go. it anyway board service <laughs> so is type stronger. two
1: fun people <laughs> yes <laughs> it's not type yeah, one it's total type four. two <laughs> I love that <laughs> Okay, on that note, we are going to take a quick break to hear from our partners. We will be right back. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Okay, welcome back. Um, Flora, I've enjoyed this conversation, and I warned you all at the outset that I was in a little bit of a strange mood tonight, and I think that's that's shown out, but I have enjoyed this conversation. Uh Sam, do you have any questions that we haven't gotten to yet?
2: So I think in general we are we're highlighting the opportunity that is before all sports women and, and all all new hunters and anglers out there too to bring a voice to conservation And so as we move forward, you know, on this leadership series we've talked about imposter syndrome. We've talked about how to tackle that i think you know at the end of it if flora had any resounding comments on how to situate someone to be successful any final words that would really just bring it home because we know we have enabled incapable people out there that can do this they just maybe need that one little extra effort or extra enabled comment to get them applying for those opportunities so whatever that statement might be i know people would appreciate that from flora Sure thing. I
0: want to continue the conversation. So if anyone reaches out, uh, feel free to connect them with me. I, I love talking about this world. Appointments is a very niche uh, group of, of people who have seen it from the, the inside of the process. And um, helping out my, my fellow sportswomen sisters is always exciting. Um, and I mean we're all we're all tougher than we know. We can all do much more than we think we can. And so if something is sparking an interest in you, uh, pursue it. there's there's um, it might be hard and might get uncomfortable, uh, but it will show you um, you know how that you've come much further than than even you would guess. Uh, and there's so many incredible ways to be a leader. Commissions are not the only way. Um and and learn learn more about what excites you. Uh, spend some time looking at the way these processes are made. Uh learn about your elected officials. That's super important in an election year. Um and make sure you're you're engaged. There's more ways than ever, which is the upside. There's a lot of ways to stream meetings, to follow folks online, um, and and take advantage of it. This is an incredible time uh, to throw your hand in the ring. Uh
1: and I I have one last question too, but building off of that, I think um, you and I had talked Flora about uh, hosting um, application sessions where we can support women and yes. the questions that they have about their applications for commissioner. Uh, and I think um, I, I'm I'm here for that, and I know that you are too. So if we if our listeners are are interested in that. Um, stay tuned, that might be something that we put out there, but you're always just, I mean, I put this out here, I may as well give you all my phone number, but seriously, um, (laughs) uh, if you have an application that you want a second second set of eyes on, I, as I've already stated, hello, my name is Marsha, I'm a leadership enabler, um, (laughs) email it to me. (laughs) But I also think um, we talk a lot about state level commissions, but there are often city uh, boards, as well so like you said flora there are a tons of 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 opportunities out there um both large and small that people can look out for if they're interested in starting this path Um, and don't overlook city opportunities um because
0: yeah that's a great reminder city city commissions are very common county level would be the next one up uh, and it really depends on what kind of sp- scope you want to look at. There's regional interstate committees as well. That Those are always exciting. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe your passion is conservation. Maybe it's beautification, some sort of um, cleaning of the, you know, the natural lands around you, some sort of open space council maybe. Um, there are just a million ways to express your love for conservation and for the natural world. Um, and, and certainly now, now is the time that your leadership is needed, too. It's, it's, it's the, the natural world around us is hurting. Um, and and um, I think a lot of us would re- regret not uh, lending our voice to that.
1: Flora, before we break for hits and misses, is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about yet?
0: We have covered everything, but I always still just want to continue the conversation. Um, so if uh, and this is this is evolving always, uh, but I'm really excited that listeners are considering applying, um, and I, I I urge you to go for it, take the plunge.
1: Take the plunge, I love it. Um, hits and misses. The question is, what have you been aiming for lately, and how
2: did it go, Sam? You're up so i actually had a conversation about this of how to um describe this i'll call it hit i don't know if i'll actually bring a myth to the table ever i'm typically a positive person <laughs> but um given my recent uh workload i've been able to scale up my volunteer activity a little bit more and i i think um the work that Marsha Brownley of Artemis Sportswomen and, and all of the work that you've done is something I call a hit because of the opportunity to bring this content to listeners. And so to be a part of this whole conversation and everything is my hit, oh, uh, especially yay. on the enabling side. But yeah, there's such skill with enabling and saying that you are enabling others and it makes me very proud to be a part of this. Well, we're
1: just gonna do a little love fest right now because you helped enable this entire grant. Um, so thank you for, for that leadership. It's much appreciated.
2: Absolutely. Get out there and let's get more leaders in spaces. Yay.
1: Um, Flora, what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go?
0: I have really been chewing on the phrase progress, not perfection. Uh, Like I I I mentioned before, it's such a good phrase and COVID really, um, I imagine this is true for many people, but I will speak to my experience. It made me reconsider a lot of things, what I'm expending bandwidth on, and and where I would prefer to expend that bandwidth. Um, and even things like turkey hunting, I um, it's been so frustrating living um, in a new new area and trying to find land to access, mm-hmm. and then you know <laughs> getting out there and being set up before sunrise. Uh, and working full time, it, it's really challenging. However, it dawned on me while I was sitting there annoyed and cold of, you know, why, how have I not gotten a turkey yet? It dawned on me that I wasn't even out hunting this often this time last year. And so I made progress. It is not perfection. Um, and, and, and I'm um, heard way more turkeys this spring than last spring. And I'm really excited about that. Um, and, and it's a, uh, uh, just in, in, in throughout my life in general, um, learning how to, to pick what matters and, um, focusing in on those things.
1: Excellent. I feel like progress, not perfection needs to be my daily affirmation.
0: It's so hard. I mean, yeah, I I say like, I know what I'm talking about, but it's, it looks really different every
1: day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some moments you do know what it's what you're talking about, and others. <laughs> speaking from personal experience, others I don't. Sometimes I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a huge hit, and Flora, it's directly related to you because Artemis has selected our 2022 cohort of ambassadors, uh, in Woo-hoo. of which Flora is one, which I'm extremely excited Woo! about. Yeah. So we have, uh. I, was, I sent out the announcement email um, to my team today and it was very exciting because we are welcoming 36 uh, women into our 2022 cohort, um, covering a total of 28 states. And our ambassadorship is a two-year term, so combined with our 2021 cohort, we now have over 70 women um, as uh, uh, boots on the ground conservationists and community builders and leaders um, across over 30 states so I my heart that is so is kick-ass that's amazing I'm very excited and I'm very excited you. for the year ahead because again like we launched our ambassador program in March of February of 2020 which <laughs> could not have been worse timing um and you know the last two years have been as everybody knows plagued with um well that was a I didn't mean to say plagued, but is <laughs> a good pun, <laughs> um, has uh, struggled with not being able to host in-person events. Um, and uh, hopefully this year we can kind of stretch our legs and really uh, fulfill the role that the ambassadorship is supposed to be. Um, and I'm very excited for that possibility. And yeah, and welcome to the team, Flora.
0: Thank you so much. I this is going to be a crazy journey and a really fantastic journey. <laughs> yep.
2: all of that is true. And welcome to all the other ambassadors too. That's huge. Yes. It's, it's so exciting to have them on the team.
0: Yeah, I love you
1: all already.
2: Mm-hmm. I can't <laughs> wait to introduce them
1: to the world. That's the that's world. a little grandiose, but <laughs> but not really. I mean, it's Instagram, right? Yeah. Again, Flora. I love this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Sam, thanks for being here again. Absolutely, always.
0: Thank you both so much.
1: We will talk to you all soon. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside.